Hey, it's Tanika here. If you've been following, and even if not, we're at the sixth episode of Cyberspace, the official Cyber Festival podcast. We've talked about Cyber's virtual exhibition, some of the people and pieces from the full Cyber program. We've had expert opinions and even some soothing sounds from our digital wellness programs. But I haven't told you about the discourse program that I curated. It takes place today when we go live for this episode, so I thought, why not do a feature on it? A bit about the thinking behind my program. I took Cyber, which is a very ambiguous, deliberately ambiguous acronym, and interpreted it as conversing or converging intersectionally on virtual art forms. Throughout the program, I basically interweave some more classic discursive formats with some more experiential and performative pieces, which I also see as forms of discourse. What I try to do in most of my work is showcase some really dope artists, but also creatives who are community workers, practitioners and activists. This is really important given where we are right now. 2020 definitely set the tone for a global awakening, which we're still kind of processing. And communities at the heart of that, which have been ignored and unheard, are more or less demanding the equality they've always deserved. And I feel the virtual shouldn't really be an exception to this awakening or these demands. So I basically sent to artists who, through their work, comment on the need for the normalisation of accessible, intergenerational and fully intersectional approaches to virtual art and consumption. I know that's a lot, but no one said it was easy. For my programme, I invited Kira Moser, a bassist and brilliant mind currently based between Boston and Vienna. I got to talk to Kira about her music, how she ended up having this epic life between Vienna and Boston, and all the stuff she's working on right now. I had such a nice conversation with Kira, and she's super humble, and it's really nice to see, because what you're about to hear is some pretty awesome stuff. For example, she's enrolled in the only music program of its kind in the world. That's the Assistive Music Technology, AMT, program at Berklee College of Music. Anyway, let's get into it. My aim with this program is to sort of have conversations, not only through conventional ways of discussion, panels and so what, but also through performative elements and, and more in-depth looks at, at individuals, their their lives, their art and let this more personal angle sort of open up wider thinking and reflections in a more sort of fluid way. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. We, we are basically connected through a mutual friend, artist Sawyer, who, who will actually also be part of a segment under this program. And I was, I was really, yeah. And I was, I was so excited, first of all, to know a bass player in Vienna, one of my favorite instruments, actually, as well as a female <laughs> bass player. Do you also play an instrument or? I don't, unfortunately. I'm I'm much more of a vocalist. I'm a singer, actually. Oh, oh, cool. I like to sing. Yeah, I, I used to write when I was a bit younger, but I got out of the habit and I've never picked it up again. But um, I, I've always loved music and it's, I, I'm a DJ now the last sort of seven years. Oh, that's really cool. So that's how I know Sawyer and she connected me with you. And yeah, maybe we can start with your piece thinking because this has been in my head since you sent it to me, really. And I'm really glad I chose it to be within the festival and you allowed us to, to have it as part of the festival. Um, written and performed by you and by your partner. What is your process for, for writing, composing? How is it working with your partner? Um, so basically, um, I actually wrote this song a little bit beforehand for, I think it was even for a, a, a class at university in Vienna. Um, but... Um, I, I kind of, it was kind of like I had the inspiration to write a song and then I, I wrote this, you know, this theme where you have the bass starting and then the melody coming in. And then uh, I, I had, I needed something for my class. So basically <laughs> I used it then, but um, 
uh, and then I actually, you know, I knew it was a really cool, um, really cool piece and, and really melodic. And I, I really wanted to keep it. And, um, then I, I actually, um, I actually was in Boston with, with my boyfriend, um, Raphael, um, we studied there at Berkeley and, um, because he's, he's a guitarist and, mm -hmm. um, yeah, he, he plays in all kind, kinds of genres, but the most kind of famous band he played in was uh, Obscura. It's like a metal band, but he mm -hmm. also plays a lot of jazz and fusion and funk and pop and whatever. And uh, basically what, what what happened there, you know, we, we always played together a lot because we, um, we actually met in a jazz workshop in uh, um, Lower Austria in Thailand. And it was like a week where you play together every day and um, you have like ensemble and private lessons and stuff like that. And we were in the same ensemble and that's basically where we met. So we, we all, always had like bands going on, you know, and, and jammed together and stuff like that. And then um, basically what happened uh, at, in Boston, we, we played at this guitar night with a drummer and a pianist. And um, after we played there, um, Raphael's guitar teacher said, hey, actually, why don't you make make a duo together because I mean that would be like a really great um experience like playing in a duo and also mm -hmm. the combination of bass and guitar like electric mm -hmm. bass and the electric guitar mm -hmm. actually alone um as duo is not really common so mm -hmm. what happened was that we um basically said okay let's you know uh, try to do a recording session and with video and everything because yeah nowadays with social media it's uh, really important to you know Mm, yeah record everything live and mm -hmm. do a video and yeah so that's from our first recording session and it it was kind of the idea to have something that's um you know with a nice melody and that kind of picks you up um emotionally mm -hmm. and it was kind of the inspiration was kind of yeah i i was thinking about where to go and what to do as a musician because you you know, it's a big, um, job field and you have a lot of possibilities. Um, but you have to specify in some kind of way. And, um, sometimes it's hard to know, okay, what to do next, because there is not really a recipe for being a musician. Mm. So you also have to think about, okay, what's, you know, what's the best thing and what can I do now? And then I was kind of in a, a emotional mood and I kind of wrote this melody. So yeah. Wow. Okay. And it, it, do you think your writing is always influenced by where you're at, or sometimes is it mixed up with the fact that you're studying music? You study music. You're working a lot with music. Is it sometimes a conviction that you have to do something, or is it you're only really writing, composing when there's something emotionally uh, connecting for you? That's actually a great question. So I think that everything that touches you emotionally and everything that you write out of the situation. Um, I like those compositions much more. I have a lot of compositions I did for school, um, for university or something, but I, it, there's actually no comparison because, uh, if you really want to say something through music, then I think, um, that it has much more power and, um, yeah, you can express yourself much better on your instrument. And if you know what to say, because music is not only, you know, just, doing something with your hands and an instrument. Um, because I think the reason why the people listen to music is not, not that they find the, the instruments fascinating, but actually that they find it emotionally touching in some way. 
So I think that it's really important that a musician has something to say or a composer um, if they compose a song and if they play it. Yeah. And your your connection to Boston, is it is it only through is it through Berkeley only? Do you have some some history there? Um you what is your sort of connection with Boston uh right now? Um so the reason um why I wanted to go to Boston is that I um I, I did my bachelor in uh, bachelor in Vienna and before actually before I had my bachelor exam it was like a few weeks before that um I found out that there is this assistive music technology course in Boston for blind people mm-hmm. and the thing was I studied my whole bachelor um through only hearing and memorizing music so I could never write anything down mm-hmm. I could also not record anything because um Aust- like Austrian uh, people who knew or basically who knew um, how to use technology for blind um, or how to show blind people technology or whatever, they didn't know that there was so much accessible music technology out there. So um, I didn't know that, um, for example, a certain Sibelius version, Sibelius is a software um, you can write down music with, mm-hmm. a certain version was actually accessible for Windows. But actually, you know, the people all told me, the people in Austria, that Sibelius, you can't use it. And also wow. not Finale, which is actually the second software. So basically, for me, there was never a possibility to write down music, except, um, yeah, I could write down Braille music but nobody else could read it. So that was no possibility for me. And um, I can read Braille music. It's it's great that I can read it because my violin teacher, she was a really good, um, yeah, um, teacher. And she did so much for me. And she even drove to Vienna to learn um, how to read Braille music and how to um, write it. So I learned that from her, but basically um, I never really need it because um, only blind people can read it if they... Uh, if they learned it mm-hmm. yeah so basically then what ha- what happened I was actually googling Sibelius accessible and then I found this course that only exists at Berkeley which is uh, called um, assistive music technology where you can learn to use um, um, recording software like Pro Tools or Logic um, and um, Sibelius like to write down music as I said Mm -hmm. before and um, for me that broke barriers because I mean when I composed something I composed a whole big band arrangement and I had to memorize everything or you know record it on my phone with the piano and then I had to dictate it to somebody so as soon as I dictated the music to somebody it was gone out of my view so I couldn't Mm -hmm. really um I couldn't look at it anymore and I couldn't write it down myself. And that was, you know, I mean, that was really barrier breaking. So I decided to, to try all, you know, to, you know, focus everything on getting to Berkeley. And yeah, what happened was that I did an audition and at first I got like a half scholarship, which is great, but Mm -hmm. it's, uh, 
not a lot because you have to still pay $11,000 yourself. Mm-hmm. And then what happened, I was, um, I auditioned for a program called the five week and I got into a woman's performance program where they have like this, uh, girls ensemble playing and, um, you, you play together with them five weeks and you also work with really great jazz musicians like Terry Link. Carrington. Um, yeah, so I got the scholarship for that and that was a full scholarship. So they fully paid everything to, to go there, like even, um, living accommodation, and everything. And then, um, after I was there, I actually managed that they hired my scholarship for the, for the other, for the undergrad. Wow. Program. And then I only had to pay like 3000, I think. So that was okay. And then uh, my boyfriend also got a good scholarship. So we went over for one semester and I studied in the undergrad and uh, I did this course. And uh, basically now for this COVID times, if I wouldn't have done this course, I would have been really bored because I did so much recording in this year. You can't imagine how many songs I recorded for other people and mm. um also writing down everything is, uh, you know, it's amazing being able to write down a composition for a band and just go there, give them the sheet and then say, okay, I want to play this. Um, it's a complete different life as a musician. Now I'm really more independent. This is incredible to hear this because it's not just about, it's such a huge difference. It's not just about what is available. It's also about who knows what is available, awareness on what, individuals need what communities need and this is exactly what i'm talking about is that the difference between what you were able to do uh with a, with a course like this offered at berkeley versus what you were told was not even possible this is this opened up opens up so many opportunities for so many people and can make such a huge difference wow thank you first of all for sharing that i think that's such an inspiring story and also just the fact that you know how things open up after that you know i, mean, I can imagine studying in the states is just I know it's super expensive to even be able to study. So getting a scholarship on top of that, because in yourself, you're already a, an amazing musician, clearly. So it's just that that difference between information and access to information that can change a whole course of someone's life. This is, this is it's really incredible. And I think this is some of the topics and in terms of technology and technology in the virtual arts specifically, um, what I'm trying to raise awareness on. And, and thank you also for being part of this, because that in itself is already just like, okay, well, we can stop recording there. We can just say, this is a perfect example of, of the difference it can make in someone's life. So, um, yeah, yeah, thank you. It's, uh, it's amazing because like Boston or or Berkeley is the only place where this course exists. Right. Um, Like there are similar courses in, in, in the USA, but not really, they're not that far with technology. Mm. And the teacher who is called Chi Go Kim, he's amazing. He's, you know, he, he's blind himself and he basically, um, yeah, he, he checked out everything himself. So he uh, did kind of learning by doing, and he wants to show all the blind people, um, or all the blind musicians. He wants to help them, um, that they don't have as much work as he had finding everything out. And for me, that's so amazing because I'm so impatient concerning technology <laughs> and I really only wanted to work, you know? <laughs> mm, mm. Um, yeah. And, um, so for me that, that was, that was an amazing experience. And I, I, I actually tend to forget how much that actually helped me, mm. but, um, now talking about it, you know, 
it's amazing. Yeah. Well, you, you're you're a bit of a connoisseur when it comes to podcasts yourself. You, you have your own uh, podcast uh, entitled Blind So What, which deals with experiences and advice you share with others about your life uh, as a blind person. Um, when did you actually start this podcast series? Um, so I started last year, so one year ago. And um, the reason was that I was actually, first of all, um, people ask me so many questions, um, when they meet me and I really love to answer them. You know, I don't want to say that I have any problem, really not. Mm. Um, I just thought maybe there is some way that I can help people to know more about it in advance or without like, um, them having to meet me. And also sometimes people feel uncomfortable about asking me questions about blindness. Mm. Um, what is actually funny for me because it's completely normal because I hear them every day. And for me, you know, it's not a problem at all. But, um, of course I was, I was even thinking of writing kind of a, you know, question answer, um, book or something. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I actually kind of, you know, um, discovered that YouTube is, is really a big thing since a few years and that there are like YouTubers who, you know, do those videos where they, I don't know where they cook or where they do a workout or whatever. And I was uh, thinking of even doing that myself, um, because I think it would be cool as a blind person. Mm -hmm. Um, the only thing is that I can't really do it alone. So, mm -hmm. you know, I would need, need somebody for the cameras and everything. So, uh, then somebody actually, um, uh, suggested I could just do a podcast and, um, yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> I started and I started, um, bi-weekly. So all, uh, every two weeks, but, um, now it's only monthly because, um, it's, uh, it's a lot of uh, work to, to record an episode. And of course, still my main, um, focus is on music. So mm -hmm. yeah, but I really love doing this podcast and I really like when people submit questions also to me so mm. I can direct the podcast in the right way and um you know talk about what they really want to know um mm -hmm. so yeah would be cool if you check it out yeah for sure we're gonna we're gonna make sure that we spread the word and also have the handles to your your social media and your podcast and everything definitely I actually wanted to ask you in terms of um, technology software apps you use to sort of support you and your daily your daily work online and also with your music what are some of the uh, you talked about what is the name syllabus Sibelius Sibelius mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's from the company Avid and it's a normal software but since January last year um, it's accessible for Mac and Windows, the newest version. And yeah. um, when I actually came to Berkeley, only Sibelius 5 was accessible um, only with Windows um, as a blind person. So I actually came into the Sibelius um, beta testing team and um, I was actually in the process of making it accessible which is great. What? So I can, I'm yeah. mind blown. Seriously? Yeah. Wow. I kind of get into modeling it for blind people. I mean, of course, basically it's built up for sighted people and there are only really small things that you can change because they want it to look great. That's the most important thing because that's, of course, the main um, community who consume it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but of course... Um, yeah, we had some, some things, um, to say, and that was amazing. And, uh, for me, you know, I can imagine how did, how was the process for this? How did it come about that you were part of the testing team? Um, so basically she asked me, my teacher at Berkeley, I was, I was at Berkeley in this course and, um, she, um, 
noticed that I'm, you know, I, I, I he noticed that, that I will really use it a lot, the software in the future, because he knew that I'm, I'm going to be a professional musician that I already am. Um, it's, it's a little bit different because other students may be like a little bit younger and just starting off, but I was actually, you know, already finished with my degree and everything. And he, I think he kind of, uh, discovered I would uh, like to be uh, a part of this. And he just asked me if I wanted to be part and yeah, then we started meeting, um, I think every two weeks and talked about what we could improve. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, it is really cool. I'm actually still part of it. But there was also this one-year program um, where they had um, a woman working for them, um, especially for only for accessibility. So she was only there for uh, accessibility in Sibelius. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, and that actually stopped a few months ago. So we basically now only meet um, once a month because... Um, they're not working as fast as they did, but mm -hmm. basically everything is accessible. So you can really use the software. Mm. And the same thing happened with Pro Tools. It's a recording software also from Avid about, I think it was like 10 years ago. Um, it is also accessible. And yeah, on the computer, I mean, you know, I don't uh, use any apps only for blind people because mm -hmm. basically mm -hmm. the goal is actually to use the apps for sighted people and make right. them accessible for blind people exactly. so i don't use different software and um yeah i use all kinds of different things like Arial pro it's like a practice app where you can have play alongs of different jazz standards and practice with them i mean what i on my phone there are a few apps i use uh, especially for blind people Mm -hmm. um, for example, there's a great app called Seeing IE. It doesn't really have anything to do with music, but it's an app where um, <clears throat> there are a, a few different settings. So there is the um, there is a setting where you can hold the camera, um, yeah, somewhere into the room, and it'll tell you what's in the room. So you can kind of get a picture of what's there. There is also a setting for um, money. So, for example, for dollars, because they're all the same size, you can hold a dollar under the camera and it'll tell you what dollar it is. Oh, wow. Okay. I think mm -hmm. there's a setting for colors that doesn't work great yet. And <laughs> the setting that I use the most is the short text setting where you can hold the camera over some text and it reads, um, yeah, short text fragments. Hmm. Um, and I, I mainly use it like in the kitchen or if I want to identify something, you know, I, for example, if I have five different T's. I can just let it read to me what T is it, it is. There's also a barcode reader in there and um, um, a function you can scan documents with. So it's an amazing app and yeah. they're improving it every day. And yeah. also there's an app um, you can use for um, seeing if light is on or not. I mean, for me, it's not um, necessary because I see daylight and I see when it's dark. So basically, I can see if the light is on or not. I don't mm -hmm. see shapes or anything, but yeah. Um, so I don't need that function, but it's actually cool for people who are totally blind. Mm -hmm. like, so do you use the term blind referring to yourself or do you use visually impaired? Which one do you use because of that? Oh, I, I use the term blind because mm -hmm. I... Basically, blind is defined through you don't you can't recognize a hand in front of your face. Okay. So if somebody would hold a hand in front of my face, like one centimeter in front of my face, I wouldn't recognize that it's a hand. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't know that something's there. 
um, but I can't see any shapes or anything. I, I can't read. I don't see colors. So it's basically you're as blind as a bat and you can just see if the light is on or not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's actually, yeah, defined as blind. And if, if you can read like a little bit and then, you know, um, you would start defining it as visually impaired, but, mm. um, yeah. I think something you said earlier or just now actually about, um, you know, not having specific apps for visually impaired people or people who are blind, but actually adapting and making apps for everyone accessible is so important because it actually is talking about the normalization of uh, people with varying abilities. And this is such an important, such a simple way of think, thinking about it. It seems so straightforward, but it is so important because it's about normalizing uh, how diverse, how how broad we are as people and and making sure that everyone is included. Right. So thank you for also sharing that. I think that's such an important point that you raise. Yeah, but I mean, I think it's really important to... Um, so on the one side, I'm, 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 I'm a person who's really, really um, convinced that inclusion is possible and that it's necessary and that you have, like, we have, we need this. Mm. Um, but on the other side, I think it's like really important that everybody is an individual person. Mm. So I think there are things that blind people do need that sighted people don't need. For right. example, a braille display, because right. no blind person, uh, no sighted person is ever going to read braille because why? Um, I mean, maybe for interest. Why not? <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, not, you know, not necessary. Mm -mm. Um, so. But basically, um, the apps that um, are actually possible to design, and I, I think what what should be def what definitely should be um, the norm is that apps that sighted people use should be usable for blind people. Mm -hmm. I think that's the most important thing. And also, uh, my brother is a lot in the scene of computer games, and um, he is also saying that a lot of companies are really improving to make games for sighted and blind people because that was a really big problem mm. um, that they only had games for blind people and sighted people could play them but of course they were bad because it's only um, with hearing and audio sounds mm -hmm. so of course it's harder for a sighted person because you're not um, sens sensitized as much to your um, to your ears um, right. yeah. but um yeah, what, what's what's great is that they're really improving that. And for example, the PS5 is is going to be um, accessible, and they already have a company that makes uh, games that are accessible for the PS5. So you can have blind children play together with their sighted mm -hmm. friends and stuff like that. Where it actually starts, you know, it mm -hmm. starts in childhood, where you where you really need things that are accessible for all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to actually ask you also in in terms of um, you pick up on an important point there in terms of where this begins and where this I mean, for one of a better word, inclusion and, you know, blind children um, um, playing video games with sighted children and this being normalized as, as a, a normal practice and normal way of, of living. Um, are there areas in which you feel in terms of virtuality and virtual bonding, which is actually a focus of this festival, that the fact that our social distancing is becoming challenged, especially during the pandemic? Um, are there aspects of our online lives that still have a long way to go in terms of including visually impaired or blind people? Or perhaps just talking specifically from the perspective of an artist or performer, um, or just as, as a as a as you said as a gamer or whatever way, um, are there areas that you think still need a lot of a lot have a long way to go specifically? Um, yeah. So 
Definitely the internet is a really big topic because every web page is designed differently. And I understand because everybody wants their, um, their own signature. <laughs> um, but, um, it's really hard to use, um, a lot of them. I mean, it's, I won't say it's impossible, but just the structuring, um, um, like if they would, you know, there are a lot of, um, um, courses and tutorials, um, for developers of, of, of websites to mm. how to make the websites accessible. So I think that if there would be more, um, uh, yeah, consciousness about that, I think that, um, it would be great because you would be a lot faster as a blind person and, um, also this online shopping for example this is you know it's not that easy as a blind person because yeah you you need the description so you can't just look at the pictures and that's often forgotten and i i think that would be a great thing where where um where we could improve a lot in making the internet accessible actually mm. all everything social media um everything there is there's a lot to work on there so you're studying um the course is called assistive music technology am i correct right yeah at berkeley um it's, it's, uh, it's basically not um the main course of what i'm doing it's actually um more or less an elective mm -hmm. um that you have to take as a blind person for the first semester right and I took it when I started with the semester in the undergrad, but now I'm actually in a master's program. Um, I'm taking this course too. It's only two hours a week, but the actual program is called global jazz program. Okay. And it's, a uh, basically about playing music and it's a performance degree. So mm -hmm. it's a master's degree and it's uh, also a full scholarship and it's, it's, uh, for a, it takes a year. So, um, you have like a master's within one year, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. And it's about, um, not only, and uh, that's where the reason, that's the reason why I actually wanted to get in there. I really wanted to get in there. It's the application process was crazy because so many people apply because they only take 20 people a year in this program. Wow. And, um, yeah, it was a crazy year for me, <laughs> and, um, but I'm really, I'm really happy to be in there. And, and the program is basically about being a good musician. Obviously you have to play good. Um, but the most important thing is that you have to be, um, a good person and an individual person. Um, because it's really um, much about the social component of music. So what you can change through music, um, through your own music or through playing music or like what can you change in people or, or can you change communities or protests? You know, there are so many things that happen through, through music and music. Mm. Um, yeah, can music does a lot to people. And that's basically the whole thing the program is about. And you have guests every week um, that are really big in the jazz scene. For example, John Paditucci. Mm -hmm. um, he's the bass player from uh, Chikoria. Mm -hmm. um, Chikoria is like a really important pianist. Uh, I don't know if you know him. Um, no, I don't yeah. actually. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. But like in the jazz scene, you know, that they're like the kings, uh, like really like the I don't know. They're like it's amazing the guests who come there and mm. you have uh, private lessons. You have them in your ensemble, and they come and visit you and basically um, 
teach you and it's it's an amazing program that's actually. such an incredible pro so these are guest lecturers that come in that are actually from this this is what any person's dream for right. a master's program that you have the best of the best they're it's like artists in residence and wow. they're like if if it would be in person i mean now it's going to be half in person but they're mm -hmm. not going to come um so if they would be in person they would like come to boston for one week and stay there and they'd be with the whole program for the whole week and be in different classes and Yeah, sit in, take part in the discussions mm -hmm. and uh, give feedback for playing, for your playing and everything. Like that. Incredible. So, can I ask the ready question of, do you already know what your master's thesis is going to be on? Is there a sort of dissertation thesis uh, part? Yeah, it's it's going to be on music and blindness and mm -hmm. on what makes me special as a blind musician. So I want to find out what makes me different and what people can learn from that. And I want to write some music like concerning different topics about music and blindness. Mm. Well, and you know, do you already know your research methods, how you're going to do this? Is it based mainly on your experiences or will you interview others? And It's based a lot on my experience. I will also be in touch with others, um, mm. but it's more experience myself and what I can find out for, yeah about myself and about how how I'm different to sighted people actually in mm -hmm. making music. I think hearing just from this, just from the short time of hearing a bit about what you've experienced already and even this example of working for the testing, you know, the testing phase of of, of, of music software for, for, for blind people and visually impaired people, this in itself, your experience and your expertise is, is really just is incredible and really congratulations also on getting such in such a competitive program i can imagine it's that pinching yourself every time you you're part of it but i can imagine it's also a lot of work um how are you balancing everything besides what you're doing studying you're teaching um projects going on what what are you up to right now and how do you balance it um yeah so basically of course this program is pretty intense so i i do stuff um beside it i have like band projects going on like a funk band project and a fusion fusion band and also a salsa band we played the last gig in october before this lockdown um thing started again and um yeah i, I also teach um not too much because of course a lot of people don't really want to want lessons right now but i also theoretically give online lessons so yeah and um And also the, the studying component. And of course, I would be glad about like now I'm kind of freelancing. Mm -hmm. um, but after the the semester, I'll be finished with my degree and I kind of look, look for something, um, you know, with a more uh, safe. Well, the most ideal thing would be to teach at a university. Mm -hmm. That would be my dream because I really like to work with people and I really like to work with um, people who are like advanced Uh, in their playing and um that would be yeah that would re really be my dream i think and um also earning money with um the music i like to play mm. because i mean you often play music that you necessarily don't really listen to but it's not that i don't like to really don't like to play it but it's not you know it's it's just like not my music you know what's your music then i like a lot like pop funk jazz mm. um fusion stuff like that mm -hmm. um but it's not about the style it's more about um yeah i don't know 
how the music sounds like and how it feels like to me. Mm-hmm. And um, I would love to just, um, I, I, I like every, every band I was in. I, I really like it. And I also like to listen and play the music, but um, there, there is music where you really have emotional, you know, connection to. Right. And I, I really would enjoy to like kind of earn my living with, with music. I really can, uh, connect to in an mm. emotional way do, do you actually see that being in vienna or, or austria or do you see that are you open to where that could be i'm open to everything <laughs> um i mean i really love austria because i just i love the food i love the the city of vienna and of course i have friends here everything but mm. i'm really open to live somewhere else to you know work somewhere else i i yeah there's no borders for me i really really like to travel and yeah nice nice hey kira thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast and and being part of this year's the first year of cyber festival i i'm really excited for what's to come for you and and um i'm sure you and i i mean it's good to know that you're <laughs> you're open to what comes next um because i would, i'm sure i'm i'm definitely going to stay in touch with you and i'd love to include you in in some of the programs i'll be doing for, for other things and um i'm really excited about about what's in head in, in store for you and this program sounds incredible. Um, I'm definitely going to listen to your podcast and, and hear a bit more about your perspectives. And, and yeah, um, from my side, thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. See, I told you she's pretty amazing. You can catch her self-composed piece, Thinking, at cyber.at and maybe you can play that out for yourselves into the day or the evening, whatever time it is where you are right now. And our next episode is actually the last episode of Cyberspace for this year's festival. See you there. 